Well, good morning, Chillicothe Baptist Church. It's been a wonderful weekend, and meeting with many of you and spending time together. Uh, my family and I truly appreciate the uh, reception that you all have given us, and I also want to just take a moment and thank uh, Dave for the Sunday School class this morning. Uh, what a, a blessing it was to hear the Word uh, taught, and then uh, Pastor Dan for the worship today and for the worship team. Just thank you all for pointing us to Christ and lifting up his name. Um, we've really, truly been blessed by your graciousness and realizing this is the first time you've seen me. And I, I want to say that I, I, I'm so grateful uh, for the conversations that we've had with the pulpit committee and for the time together with them. I have expressed to them my, my gratitude for your commitment as a church to the gospel and your love for the word of God under the faithfulness of Pastor Tim. And today, I, I actually don't, don't feel uh, totally as an outsider because I've had uh, plenty of opportunities to watch your services online and, uh, and joyfully watch the services and it made it all the more special to be here worshiping with you today. Um, and so uh, those services and just watching as Pastor Tim fulfilled his ministry here. And uh, so with, with that in mind, it really is a blessing to stand here today and to bring you the Word of God. And uh, I also know that we have a lot of kids in the room. So kids and uh, little ones, I'm glad you're here. And uh, I'm glad you're in here. And I hope that... Uh, as the message is preached, that, uh, that you also be able to hear and receive uh, along with everyone else. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer, and, uh, and then we'll begin and look at uh, the verse that God would have us to look at this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege it is to gather here with your people and to lift up your great name and exalt your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that in him and in him alone, we have salvation. Thank you for his cross and for his death on that cross and for the resurrection and for all that has been accomplished for our salvation. And we acknowledge this morning that you are truly worthy. And we now come before you and pray that you would pour out the Holy Spirit to empower the word, that the word of God would be clearly proclaimed, that Christ will be exalted through the scriptures and that those here that are listening will receive your word. And if that there is anyone here this morning that has not repented of their sin and turned in faith to Christ, that today will be the day of salvation. And I pray that as we all leave here, that the church here will be reminded of what truly is the mission and the purpose of the church, which is to proclaim Christ. I pray that you just get me out of the way. I pray that you'd remove every distraction from my mind and heart, that you would cleanse me, and God, that again, you would fill me with your spirit, and that the word will be preached. But thank you for all that you're doing in people's lives here, and pray that you would continue that work this morning, and it is in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. This morning, I'd invite you to take your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, and the message that... Uh, I want to share with you is entitled, Him We Proclaim, the Center of Biblical Ministry, or the, the Central Focus of Biblical Ministry. 
And I want to read verses 24 through 29. And as we do, we're, we're going to really just kind of focus in on one particular verse here. But let's, let's read from Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. And please stand with me in honor of God's word. And as we read the text, the scripture says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. For the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Most most companies have a one-liner or a catchphrase that demonstrates its primary focus and mission. In fact, I'm sure many of you, uh, I'm sure all of you are familiar with the roast downtown Chillicothe, and it has on the wall coffee plus community. Makes it very clear what they're all about, right? And uh, Or take Chick-fil-A, for example. Eat more chicken. And a cow saying that is an indicator of what Chick-fil-A is all about. Eat more chicken. Well, I use that just to illustrate the fact that I believe that every church needs to know what its primary focus should be. And if anything, from time to time, be reminded of that. And as well, every minister must know what his main task is. It ought to be so clear. It ought to be so specific and so simple that it can be put on a banner and it can be displayed for all to see. It can be put on a sign. It can be written on the wall. But it's so clear that everyone knows what that focus and purpose is. And and not just that, but it must come from the Word of God. It must come from the Scriptures. And here is actually one of those places where the Apostle Paul gives us a clear snapshot Uh, that summarizes true biblical ministry. And it's right there in verse 28. I mean, this is what you could put on the banner. This is what you could write on the wall. And it's this, Him we proclaim. That is the central focus here in this passage. And so, as we seek this morning to kind of unpack that, I want us to see that first, that as we introduce this, I want you to see that Paul puts that statement kind of in a framework in verses 25 through 26. Now, I'm not going to walk through every every single phrase there and that part of it, because I really just want us to focus on verse 28. But that paragraph that leads up to verse 28 is Paul just describing the ministry that he has received from the Lord that ministry to the church. And it becomes a framework for us to display that declaration, Him we proclaim. And and so here's the framework. Two things, real quickly. First, 
we are servants of the church. That's the first thing, that we are servants of the church. And notice how personal that is for the Apostle Paul. What does he say in verse 24? He says, I'm suffering for you. I've been in prison for you. I have endured all these things for your sake, the local church for whom Christ died and gave his blood. And so all that Paul endures for preaching, for evangelizing sinners, for planting churches, and even discipling believers, it is all for the sake of the local church. This assembly, the gathering of any group of believers, is very special to God because we are His redeemed people. And the text is very clear that, that Paul became a minister. Do you see that in verse 24? He says that, uh, verse 25, he says, uh, I became a minister. In, in other words, what he's saying is all of this is by the grace of God. And that God commissioned him to serve the church. And the church didn't belong to him or any other man, but it ultimately belongs to Christ. And so for us this morning, as we think about that primary central focus of biblical ministry, we have to get that in place. It's, it's, we serve the church. We serve one another. And then the second thing that is part of that framework is we are stewards of the truth. Look, look what he says in the passage. He says, I became a minister according to the stewardship. In other words, God gave me this responsibility to make the word of God fully known. And so while ministry is about service to God's people, it most importantly is a stewardship of God's truth. And what Paul's referring to here when he says make the word fully known is he's really talking about all of revealed scripture. That it is the stewardship of the church to put on display all that God has revealed in his word that has ultimately come to pass in Jesus Christ. So, so there's this stewardship that we're given. And that stewardship flows into every aspect of the life of a local church, every ministry of the local church. And, and that's the framework that Paul uses to give us this central focus. And so this morning, with that framework in mind, verse 28 then kind of zeroes down on the central focus of biblical ministry, and really it's the big idea of the whole passage. So here's the big idea. The big idea from Colossians chapter 1 in these verses is the center of biblical ministry, or the essence of biblical ministry, or the central focus of biblical ministry is to proclaim Christ. That's the central focus. So that all believers will mature in Him. Will grow in Him. So with that central focus in mind, there are three things that this involves. So here's going to be our path this morning. This involves the message that we proclaim, the method in which we proclaim it, and the mark that we set in proclaiming it. So let's look at the first thing that Paul gives. First, the message we must proclaim. Look at verse 28. Verse 28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So notice with the message, we have a task. And that task is proclaimed. That's the word that Paul uses. Every Christian, 
every believer proclaims the gospel to the people around them and to the people that have been entrusted to them, from our families to those in our care in the church to those outside of the church with whom we interact, God gives us this command to proclaim Christ. We all share in that general proclamation. But as proclamation pertains to the churches, the priority must be the preaching and the teaching of God's Word. The command is, I want you to see this, the command is not to entertain. It's not to moralize. It's not to hold a conversation. It is to proclaim. It's to preach. The pulpit of the church is for the proclamation of the Word. That's what Paul's driving at. And to preach is to herald the truth. It's, it's, think of the town criers in England who stood on the corner and said, hear ye, hear ye. I mean, they weren't just announcing some, uh, event in the square. They were making a proclamation of the king. Preaching must be the delivery of the word of God, but to, to the people of God by the power of God. Martin Lloyd Jones said this. He said that preaching is logic on fire. <laughs> he said it's, it's theology coming through a man on fire. I love that analogy. There, there's an element of passion in it, but it's not this wild, uncontrollable, ecstatic passion. It is a passion that is produced by the Spirit for the Word of God to go forth. It can vary in volume. It can vary in style. But it is nonetheless a convictional declaration of the Word of God carried by a heart of sincerity and love that's been transformed by the gospel. I mean, isn't that what you see in the life of Paul? And so, so, so we have this task. And that's what Paul says, we proclaim. And, and not only do we have the task, he gives us the theme. Okay, Paul, what do we proclaim? What is it that we proclaim? We proclaim Him. Who? Christ. The hope of glory. The riches of God. The treasury of the gospel. We preach Him, Paul says. So we don't announce a system by which if we follow these things, then we'll get to God. We don't proclaim a set of regulations. That if you keep this law, you do this rule, then that will earn you righteousness and salvation. No, we preach the gospel. The gospel, the person and work of Christ. And in the church, the grand subject of our preaching and to all the teaching that takes place, which was a joy to see even this morning, the grand subject ultimately, ultimately is who? Christ. So, so, so he is the fountainhead of our faith, and all the streams of grace spring up from him. There is no salvation through our good works or our moral merit. We are saved by Christ. He is the Savior. And I really believe that when Paul says this, it's kind of like in Corinthians when he says, we preach Christ crucified. That's Paul's heartbeat. That is his central passion. But it is his central passion because that is the commission that God has given him and that is what God's will is for the focus of the church. That's why Paul keeps repeating it. 
So we preach Christ. The Old Testament promises Him. And the Gospels present Him. The New Testament letters proclaim Him. And the revelation of John praises Him forever and ever. We must preach Christ. What must happen here, no matter what future is held for this church, is that you must see to it that Christ is proclaimed. Preach His virgin birth as He takes on flesh and comes into the world. Preach His righteous, sinless life as as He lives a perfect life obeyed to the will of the Father. Preach His love for sinners Preach his love for sinners and how the immoral and the outcast and the diseased and the dying were transformed by his power. Preach his atoning death on the cross where he bore the wrath of God and died for us. We proclaim the cross. We preach how he became a curse, how he became sin, and how he received the punishment that should have been ours. We preach the blood of Christ that was shed for our redemption. We preach the love of God that gave His only Son. And we preach Christ until every heart melts with astonishment at the grace and the mercy of the only God who saves. We preach the cross. We preach that it is finished and everything necessary for our salvation has been complete. We preach Christ at the tomb where he entered and three days later he left empty in victorious resurrection. We preach Christ risen from the dead, the stone rolled away, and the angel asking, why do you seek the living among the dead? We preach Christ standing alive forevermore, holding the keys of death, hell, and the grave. That's the Christ we preach We preach Him ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, reigning there, our living priest, interceding, enthroning, enthroned as the only mediator between God and man. We preach Christ coming again in power and in glory in the clouds to judge the living and the dead, the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world, and a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, every tongue, every tribe, bowing down before Him, singing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. We can't say it enough. Him we proclaim, the Christ of Scripture, the only way of salvation, the only name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And then once we have preached Christ, we then call all who listen to come to Him And in coming to Him, He will in no wise cast you out. And you will be given forgiveness, righteousness, and everlasting life. We proclaim Him and invite all to forget themselves and the passing kingdom of this world to follow after Jesus. We preach Him in every doctrine of the faith that extols Christ. We plumb every endless attribute of His person in such a way that all who hear by the aid of the Holy Spirit will love, adore, and worship Him and surrender themselves to Him. That's the Christ we have to proclaim. So, we have a theme. And we not only have a theme, we have a task to proclaim Jesus 
because ultimately he is our treasure. And as Paul writes verse 28, if you just go back into verse 27, he says, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches. Listen to the words that Paul uses. I mean, with, with all that I just said about what it means to preach Christ, the point is, is that this Christ and our gospel is a treasure. Look, look what he says. He, he says, the riches of the glory of this mystery, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus is the treasure. And we are, what do you do with a treasure? I mean, you either... You either hide it and take care of it, or you also share it and show it to others. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying that he is the treasure, and the treasure is the riches of his glory, Jesus Christ in you. Listen to that. The hope. Do we realize what a treasure the gospel is? It, it, is, it is the hope of eternity, and it is the glory of Christ saving sinners and dwelling in them and transforming them from the inside out. That's a treasure. And so, and so what we're given here in this message to proclaim is a task, a theme, and a treasure to share with others. But the message also is accompanied by two other words. And those two other words is really the method. It's, it's, Paul kind of, kind of broadens our understanding of this word proclaim with these two words, admonish or warn. He says, him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone. And faithful proclamation and teaching will always include these two things. We're to warn everyone and teach everyone. That word warn, that word warn means to admonish. Have you ever, have you ever turned onto a road and then suddenly realized because there's this giant sign that is like glaring you in the face and it says wrong way. Ever, ever happened to you? I, I, a couple of times that's happened to us. And you, and you realize because of the sign, you're, you're being admonished. You're being warned that you need to turn around and you need to go back the other way. What Paul's saying is, is that's what, when we proclaim Christ, we are warning, we are admonishing. We're admonishing. That happened when you became a Christian. When you became a believer, you were told, you're going the wrong way. You're headed to destruction. You are headed towards judgment. You need to what? Turn from your sin. And you need to go to Christ. You were given an admonishment. But every time we hear the word of God preached, there's always an, an admonishment. There's always a warning that we are maybe going the wrong way in our thinking, our acting, our living. One way to say it is, is warning is confronting with the intent of changing. We are confronting, we are confronted with the truth of the gospel in the hopes that the gospel will transform us. So preaching never leaves, teaching of the word never leaves anyone in the valley of decision. It confronts us with that intent to change. You must choose this day whom you will serve. Remember, that's what Joshua said to the people of Israel. 
Preaching never leaves anyone in the valley of decision. It always says you can't sit on the fence. You either have to go this way or you've got to go that way. But you can't just leave and say, well, you know, that was an okay sermon or that was an okay message from God's Word. It, the, the Word of God requires us, it, it admonishes us to turn and to decide You hear that in the preaching in the day of Pentecost. The listeners were cut to heart. And what did they say? They walked up to Peter and they said, well, what do we do with this? What do we do with this Christ that you have preached? And what did Peter say? Peter said, you are to repent and you're to be baptized or demonstrate that you have repented of your sin and that you have believed the gospel. So there was a clear decision. Remember when the, you remember when the Ethiopian eunuch was reading the, the scriptures, Isaiah 53. And, and Philip, the evangelist, was taken by a whirlwind, and there Philip shows up. And here's this Ethiopian eunuch reading Isaiah, Isaiah 53. And Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, how can I know unless someone explains it to me? And what does the scripture say? That he opened the word of God to him. He told them of the suffering servant who is the Christ who died on the cross and was raised from the dead. And what happened? The man believed and he followed Christ and demonstrated that through baptism. There's always an admonishment that comes to us from the word of God. But there's a second thing there. There's the warning everyone and then there's the teaching everyone. So there's this admonishment But teaching, teaching is the orderly presentation of Christian truth. It is the imparting of sound doctrine from the Word of God. So when we we said preach Christ, we walk through all that we have to say about Jesus. So the, the nucleus and center of everything that the Christian, of Christian teaching is the gospel of Christ. And so in preaching, it flows from the text, and as the word is rightly divided or explained, people are taught the truth that God has revealed in his word. So we warn and we teach everyone. Hear that? Everyone. We, it doesn't matter age. It doesn't matter economic circumstances. It doesn't matter ethnicity. The command is we proclaim him teaching everyone admonishing everyone towards this end of maturity in Christ. But there's one little thing that he says here with warning and teaching everyone. He says that we do this with all wisdom. See the text? He says, warning and everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. We are to warn confronting with the desire to see lives changed by the truth. And we are to teach, communicating divine truth, but both the speaker and the listener need wisdom and power that can only come from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is necessary for us to be able to understand without divine wisdom imparted by the Holy Spirit, then the gospel is foolishness to the unbeliever. The gospel is foolishness. The unbeliever walks away and says, no way is God saving sinners. That's not how we're saved. I mean, in every case of religion and philosophy, all it is is a means to earn our way to God. 
That's why the blindness has to be removed by the Spirit so that we can see this is how we're saved. But, but with, without divine wisdom imparted by the Spirit, without the illuminating work of the Spirit, we would walk away this morning and say, I have no clue what I'm to do with that. I need the Holy Spirit to illuminate my mind, to open. What did Paul say to the Ephesians? He prayed, open their hearts. Open your heart. May, may the Holy Spirit open your heart that you might be able to receive the mystery of the truth of the gospel. And, and, and with that, you will be then able to live out the saving knowledge of the gospel. And so it requires wisdom. It, it, the method then is we teach and we warn and we do that with wisdom and power that is only from the Holy Spirit. So we've covered two things here this morning. We see the message of the gospel. We see the message that we are to preach and proclaim. And that message is Christ. And then we see, secondly, the method that we're to use. A biblically prescribed method. Which then leads us to the third point that you see in the text. The mark that we must set. What does Paul say? He says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So the mark is the goal. So, so, so when, as Paul gets to the end of verse 28, he says, this is the goal. This is what we're ultimately striving for. We're preaching Christ in service to the truth, in service to the church, as stewards of the truth, with the desire to see the people of God mature, to grow. It, it's, it's the goal. The runner enters the race, and what's the goal? He wants to get to the finish line. And the runner disregards everything else in pursuit of the goal. If you shoot, if you, if you shoot archery, you know that you have to hit the target. There's a target to hit. You're going to pull back on that string and you're going to release that arrow and you have a goal in mind. That's what Paul means when he says that we do this so that we will present everyone mature in him. So there are two things that we see here. Maturity. The goal of ministry is the maturity of the saints. This begins with leading people to faith in Christ in the new birth. And on that foundation, the aim is to see believers grow into Christ's likeness. Now, the word mature doesn't mean sinless perfection. Because none of us have arrived at that. None of us can walk in the room and say, you know, I am just so mature, it's amazing. And if you just look at me, then you'll know exactly what the Christian life is to look like. No one is going to see that. No one is going to say that. But what we want to see in one another's lives is that we are all striving to be Christ-like and to live our lives out of gratitude for the gospel. And so the word mature, it doesn't mean sinless perfection, but what it does mean is it means devotion to Christ. It, that's the idea that Paul has here. It's, it's devotion to the Lord and it's blameless in conduct. In other words, what we hope to see in our lives as we are under the word of God, from the preaching in the pulpit 
to the teaching of the word that beyond the pulpit, what we hope to see is people being transformed by the power of the word of God. So if we're going to ask, well, what does maturity look like? We're going to ask that question and say, what am I devoted to? To whom am I devoted to? Whose kingdom am I worried about more, my own or the kingdom of Christ? Who do I want to please most? I want to please him. And there's a struggle there, right? I mean, again, we're not figured this out. And so there's this tension, but the point is, right, it's trajectory. That's the direction that we're going, is towards maturity. So, you know, I've heard, heard many people talk about their kids going off to college. We have one in college and one that's headed off to college. And so, as a parent, what, what, you, are, what, you're, what you desire to see is them maturing and taking on the responsibilities of adulthood. But, but you don't expect, you don't expect your, your 18-year-old to fully behave and act like he will or she will when she has a degree or she graduates from college or she or he takes on other responsibilities in life. Maturity is a process. Growth is a process. So are you growing in godliness? And, 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 and the reality that Paul puts us as a goal, nobody wants to... I mean, I don't want my kids still, you know, wearing the same clothes they wore when they were four or five years old. I mean, that would look ridiculous. And, and so, nor do they want to. But the point is, is that we, we, want, we want to mature. Our goal is to guide them towards maturity. But here's the key, and you've got to get this. What is the key towards this maturity? The key to growth. The key to godliness the key to maturity in Christ's likeness is the Word of God. I mean, that's, that's the whole thrust of the text. Him we proclaim. We don't do this. I can't do this in people's lives. We, we can't change anyone. But we have been given a gospel and the Word of God that dwells richly in us and it produces only what God can produce. And so the beauty of, what, of, of how this unfolds is that we mature as we grow in the Word of God and in the truth of what Christ has done. And as we grow, we become more like Him and we are being prepared for that day that we stand in His presence. And so the second mark that you see here in verse 28 is not just maturity, but it's presentation to Christ. It's presentation to Christ. Paul uses the word present because he's fixed his eye beyond the gathering of the local church to that great day in eternity when we all stand before him. It's eternal perspective. Doesn't matter if you're five or you're 15 or you're 50. Paul's saying you need to look towards the end to that moment that you stand before God and before His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So present reminds us that the completion of our maturity, it's going to happen. He's going to finish what He started. There'll be a day that He who began a good work in you, He will complete it on the day of redemption. This is a glorious day. And so 
the minister of the Word, the teacher of the Word, is preparing God's people for that day. That day, standing before Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, we must set our eyes on eternity and that day that we stand before Him fully complete through the work of God that began on the day that Christ saved us. The Puritan Richard Baxter wrote this. He said to preachers, preach to dying men as a dying man. In other words, don't forget the eternal goal that we're headed towards. Years ago, churches were always characterized by a graveyard that sat right next to the church, the old country church, and the graveyard. And what it was was it was a reminder to the minister of the very thing that Richard Baxter said. You're preaching as a dying man to dying men, so preach the eternal gospel. And for those that that gathered in the church, it was a reminder that we're all assembling, but we're moving towards a day when we will assemble before Christ in heaven. This is a preparation, not only for what we have to do outside of these four walls, but this gathering here is a preparation. We're just getting ready for the day we can sing in Christ alone. Christ, our hope and strength. We can sing those praises and those songs when we're in His eternal presence. And so, it's our desire for every saint then to be able to sing, when He shall come with trumpet sound, may, oh, I, may, oh, may I then in Him be found, dressed in His righteousness alone, faultless, complete, to stand before the throne. The work that we are doing is preparing each and every one of us, not for just this life, but for the life that is to come. And we need the Lord to revive in us a sense of the eternal consequence of what we are doing. As we think about not just maturity in this life, but our presentation when we, are, when we are standing before Him as a sacrifice given for His honor and for His glory. So these are the three prescriptions. These are the three prescriptions. This is the central focus of biblical ministry. Him we proclaim. And the way that happens is through the message, the method, and the mark that God has given us in His Word. Christ will be proclaimed, and then believers will mature in their faith and be complete in Him on that day. What my prayer is for this day, and for you, and for all of us as we look ahead into whatever future God has, is that we will remain faithful to proclaim Him, and that this will be the continued focus of Chillicothe Baptist Church, and all that it goes on here until Jesus returns. I'm reminded of the words of Charles Spurgeon when I think of this passage and as I draw things to a close. Here's what Spurgeon said. Spurgeon said, Do not go where it is all fine music and grand talk and beautiful architecture. Those things will neither fill anybody's stomach nor feed his soul. Go where the gospel is preached 
the gospel that really feeds your soul and go often. That's where I want to be. I want to be where the gospel is proclaimed, where Christ is lifted up so that I can grow in him and prepare that day that I stand in his presence. So this morning, let me ask you a few questions in closing. Are you a Christian? Do you believe the gospel? Have you looked to this Christ for salvation? If you have not, today is the day of salvation. This is the moment to believe. And for every believer here, will you proclaim him? Will you proclaim him to those that are around you, to those that God has entrusted to you? And as a church, will you continue to proclaim Christ and all admonishment and all teaching? And what is the aim of your life and your ministry? Is it Christ to be glorified and believers to grow in him? Him we proclaim. That is the central focus of biblical ministry. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for Christ, whom we proclaim. We thank you for who he is, and we thank you for what he has done. We thank you for everything that he has achieved. We, I thank you for the faithfulness of this church and the commitment to the word of God and to the gospel and pray that they will continue forward with that emphasis. And Lord, I pray that you do a work in each of our hearts. There are areas in our lives where we need to be more conformed to the image of Christ. We need to grow. We need to mature. We need to grow up. And we pray that your word will do that in our hearts. And God, that we will respond to what we have heard preached in obedience and with great gratitude for what you have given us in Jesus. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. And as we close and as we worship together, as we respond to God's word, if the Lord is dealing with your heart, you're certainly invited to come and pray. There'll be others here that are happy to speak with you. But we now worship Christ, him we proclaim.